Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy. Your co-host, Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC 242, Habib Nurmagomedov versus Dustin Poirier. And Shaq, it's going down this Saturday in Abu Dhabi. The 27-0 Habib Nurmagomedov taking on one of the most exciting fighters in the history of the sport, Dustin Poirier, for the undisputed lightweight strap, Shaq. Yeah, Khabib Nurmagomedov is currently the greatest lightweight of all time. He's never lost. He barely loses rounds. I mean, he's the definition of dominant. And now he's going in there against Dustin, the Diamond Poirier, who, you know, the hashtag paid in full. I mean, this guy has one of the most earned title shots ever, and it was good to see him get that. That, uh, that title down here in the great state of uh, Georgia. So it's a good fight. I feel like it's uh, Khabib's toughest test, at least the uh, one of the more credible guys on paper that he's fought in a while. And uh, I'm, I'm excited for the fight. Well, Shaq, I know everyone remembers when Dustin Poirier fought Max Holloway in Atlanta, Georgia, and we took those big odds on Dustin Poirier. And I even said I would bet Dustin Poirier at plus 185 versus anyone at lightweight except Habib. Well, now Shaq, he's plus 360, so I can't wait to talk about this main event. If Khabib wasn't around, Dustin Poye, you know, he'd definitely probably be undisputed champion. But this is, you know, why we have such thing as dominant champions. You know, we want to see if they fall or do they continue their dominance. And, man, this card is so stacked uh, top to bottom. I know a lot of people were doing a little complaining, but, man, I love it because... Similar to last week, which was kind of China versus the rest of the world, this is uh, basically, let's put it this way, they got a guy named Muslim, a guy named Muhammad, and a guy named Islam on this Abu Dhabi card. Yeah, it seems like the theme is Muslims versus uh, the entire world, so uh, I'm excited for these fights. Man, I am too, and let's get right down to business, Shaq, because first up, in the lightweight division, we got Don Madge, he's 8-3, and and Farez Ziam is 10 and 2. Currently they got Don Madge minus 160. The comeback on Farez Ziam is plus 140. Well Shaq, Don Madge was initially supposed to fight Magomed Mustafaev and we think that would have been an all-out war but now they called up French lightweight prospect Farez Ziam to come in here taking on short notice. He's already knocked out UFC vets. Do you think he gets it done in his UFC debut? Farez Ziam has a very bright future. He's got a decent wrestling game, good elbows, and he seems like lately these last four or five fights, I mean, he's been ha- handling his competition the exact way he should, uh, you know, beating UFC vets like Abner Lavares and uh, the other guys on his uh, French local scene, you know, and Don Madge is, uh, is uh, you know, was kind of a mystery going into his debut because before his debut, I was saying, I mean, look, Sean Shelby matched this guy up with Taymor, and this was, you know, Taymor coming off wins over Nick Lanster, Car Close, and Lando Venata. You know, he, he was going to put Don Madge in there for his debut, so, and then he had the performance that he did against T. Edwards. Now, you know, he came out there and put T. Edwards on his ass right away, and, not, and then he got taken down. T. Edwards is a two-time division uh, one qualifier but i mean don madge was attacking off his back the entire time it's not like t edwards ever got close to passing his guard i mean one could say if that ref didn't touch him he might have gotten that arm bar so i feel like don madge prior to the t edwards fight really his body just didn't look like that you know, i'm under the speculation that you know he met chris cyborg and everything uh took off to the moon so this is the guy coming in from his debut that uh fought against t edwards i honestly think for is in trouble two years old a lot of his fights lately have
have been going uh, a little bit too easily. The competition's not too tough. And I think here in this spot, I, I think it's going to be hard for him at 22 to keep his composure after getting hit with some of these critical knees, these critical uh, critical high kicks to the face. And, you know, for us, it's like uh, James Wick a little bit, man. He likes to leave his chin up in the air. And, uh, you know, when he's fighting these guys like the typical Brazilian punching bag on the local scene, he'll get away with it. But against Thon Madge, on short notice, I think he gets knocked out. Man, I'm very excited about this fight, dude, because initially it was like, oh, man, who's this French guy they're bringing in to get an ass-whooping against Don Madge? And then I watch uh, Ferez Yam, and I was kind of impressed, man. For only 22 years old, uh, he's definitely got a lot of good things going on. In my opinion, he was one fight away from that UFC call. He was supposed to fight in November. He would have won that fight then got the call. But now the call came a little bit early, and uh, you're not fighting some dude on the French local scene anymore. Now you're fighting Don Madge. And when you talk about a guy like Don Madge, you're talking about one of the craziest transformations I have ever seen in all my years of watching fights. If you watch this guy's fight right before his UFC debut, you're like, you know, who's this pipsqueak coming from the South African scene? You know, he's uh, he's going to be like the next Gareth McClellan. You know what I mean? He's going to be the next Juan Potts. And then, uh, then he met Chris Cyborg, a.k.a. he met Chris Cyborg's doctor. All of a sudden, the guy puts on 20 pounds of muscle. All of a sudden, he's this killer that we've never seen before in the lightweight division. He's going out there, zero fear whatsoever, standing in the pocket, landing any shot he wants. Drops the guy, goes for the finish, gets taken down. Then he almost arm bars the guy. He's attacking off his back. Then the second round comes around, head kicks the guy twice, and uh, good night, Irene. 50K bonus. So I was very impressed with Don Madge in that UFC debut. And if, like I said, if you go back and you watch that local scene footage, it's not even the same guy. So whatever undetectable shit they're doing over there, keep doing it, Don. I think Don Madge comes out here and capitalizes on the tall man defense of Ferez Yam and goes out there and gets the knockout. Next up in the middleweight division, we got Zach Cummings. He's 23-6. and six, And Omari Ahmedov is 18-4. and four. Currently, they got Omari Ahmedov minus 120. The comeback on Zach Cummings is plus 100. Well, Shaq, a lot of action has come in on Zach Cummings. He opened plus 145. He's currently plus 100. Do you think the line movement on Zach Cummings is justified here in Abu Dhabi? This is a very interesting fight because Omari Ahmedov at 170 has a reputation of a guy that would start off really strong and then uh, he would kind of gas in those late rounds. We saw it time and time out, you know, when he fought Eliezer Zaleski, when he fought Serginho Mar- Rice. Even when he, you know, beat Razak Lassan, he, he, you know, he was uh, looking for ways out in that third round. So when you look at the size of Omari, I mean, he's huge, man. The fact that he was cutting a 170 was just kind of disgusting. So now he's up at 185. He hasn't lost. He's got the wins over Tim Bosch. Very good fight with Marvin Vittori. And Vittori fight, I mean, look, we know what Omari's uh, game plan is. He wants to swing those big looping hooks and those looping hooks are really hard and his opponent Zach Cummings I've been on the record to say he's one of these guys that can take flush KO blows to the dome uh you know no problem and he's another guy that you know was struggling at 170 and he had to move up and now he's 2-0 so uh in terms of the competition level I feel like at 185s Omari's had the tougher road I mean we're talking about uh Marvin Vittori who personally I think it's only gonna go up for him and uh Tim Bosch, you know, is a part of some of the greatest comebacks in UFC history, and he got a 30-27, and that was for once where he actually manages cardio throughout the three rounds. So I feel like Omari Akhmedov in this fight is going to tag Zach Cummings. I feel like he's going to beat him to the punch. I feel like he's probably going to be slightly landing a little bit harder early. 
But it's just going to be a matter of can he maintain that? Because we know at times that Zach Cummings likes to he likes to turn up in there. We saw it his last fight against Trevin. Trevin was supposed to be the much more athletic guy, and Cummings uh, got in his face and you know started taking over late. So I'm gonna go with Amari Agmedov by decision. But I definitely do think it's a winnable fight for Cummings. But uh, I think. The power of Omari in those first seven, eight minutes is going to build him a big lead. And I think he's going to edge out a decision. Look, this is a fight between two former welterweights meeting at middleweight. And I think they both made the best decisions of their careers to move up. And as you notice, man, extreme weight cutting it has a certain effect on these guys. And, you know, they need to breathe more. They need to be able to move. They need to be able to think while they're inside the octagon. And, you know, we can talk about the home field advantage. And I know some people are going to comment and be like, well, he's Russian. How is it a home field advantage? L- listen to me right now. If you think that the judges aren't rooting for the Muslim fighter here against an American who's not Muslim, by the way, uh, you better think twice because they definitely are. This is Abu Dhabi here we're talking about. So Omari Akhmedov, if this is a close fight, Omari Akhmedov is getting his arm raised. And I think it will be a close fight. Look, when you talk about these guys, I mean... Omar Akhmedov, he lands slightly more than Zach Cummings. He defends slightly more than Cummings. I just think that's going to be the difference. I just think he's going to come out here and edge out a guy like Zach Cummings. And I've kind of noticed, and I don't want to be the guy that says Zach Cummings is on the decline or anything like that because, I mean, he's kept his spot on the roster for so long, but... I kind of expected more against a guy like Trevor Smith. I kind of expected more against a guy like Trevin Giles. So, listen, man, I'm going with Omar Akhmedov here via unanimous decision. Next up in the welterweight division, we got Nordin Taleb. He's 15-6. And, and Muslim Salikov is 14-2. Currently, they got Nordin Taleb, minus 120. The comeback on Muslim Salikov is plus 100. Well, Shaq, Muslim Salikov opened minus 195. All the action's been coming in on Nordin Taleb. Uh, he definitely has the more output. Do you think his chin will hold up throughout the three rounds? There's two ways to look at this fight. You know, from a technical standpoint, Nordin likes to keep it really safe. I mean, look, he's 38 years old and he's been knocked out, uh, or not knocked out, but severely beaten up in two out of his uh, last three fights in Claudio Hannibal Silva and Sean Strickland. And like I said, 38 years old. When you look at his last few wins, we're talking about Oliver Enkamp. I'm a guy that, you know, is no longer in the company. And uh, Kyle Prepelec, who's a, you know, a little tiny 55er, you know what I'm saying? Who's so, about you know, to no longer be in the company. <laughs> who might uh, possibly no longer be in the company. Just put it this way, nah, uh, Prepelec lost to Troy Lampson and, you know, Kevin Lee and a whole bunch of other guys. So from a career standpoint overall, one could say Nordin Taleb is on his way out, aka barely hanging on the whole the whole bit. And Muslim Salikov, and the other way to look at this fight, you know, technically speaking, you know, when you when you talk about Nordin, you want somebody to pressure him. It seems like that's the evident thing. You gotta pressure him and touch his chin, and he'll generally pull stunts and put himself in bad spots or go for leg locks to to try star leg lock and and get his face mask. So uh, Muslim Salikov really doesn't fight like that. He's also one of these uh low kind of low volume guys and he just likes to look for his big counter shots so there's a chance that either this fight is kind of lackluster up until Nordin gets knocked out or this fight is lackluster and it's a close decision I feel like both guys when you want to fade Nordin I feel like he's uh, definitely not playable at a line like this at minus money um, it's just the guy that he's facing is kind of old himself 
kind of, you know, doesn't move like a, a Strickland or isn't going to necessarily put that, that fear in him like Claudio Silva. So I do think there is a chance if he's struggling to, to throw that is going to be a very close fight. But I also see a chance where Nordin's chin just simply can't hold up. I don't think Nordin can knock Salikov out. I think that, you know, he if he's going to win, it's just going to be by a, a lackluster, you know, bullshit decision. So I think that I'm going to go with Salikov. I feel like uh, it should be probably a pick him. It's surprising to see he opened that wide, but maybe they know something we don't know. He's been off a layoff, coming off a USADA suspension. So uh, there's some other factors uh, Some other factors uh, coming into this fight. He is 34 years old with the USADA thing, even though he, you know, it was probably uh, some Austrian. At least it wasn't uh, LGD-4033, but I'll go with Salikov by, by third-round knockout. I think the fight's going to be a little slow, but eventually I feel like he'll touch his chin. You know, we talk about how Muslim Salikov is 34 years old. Well, Nordin Taleb is 38 years old, and I think Nordin Taleb is barely holding on. I mean, when you talk about some of these fights where it seems like, hey, this is supposed to be a walk in the park, Nordin. Go uh, finish Oliver Camp real quick. Go take care of Kyle Prepolek. Look, I know uh, officially, you know, he got the wins, but man, uh, I was expecting a lot more dominance in both those fights against... I mean, non-UFC caliber opponents, let's be honest here. With Muslim Salikov, I know he had a very disappointing UFC debut against Alex Garcia. A lot of people were let down by that, and it's definitely very alarming. But when I look deeper into it, you know something I realized, Shaq? Alex Garcia has scored 29 takedowns in his UFC career. So even though we give the guy a lot of shit, he's actually out here putting up numbers in the takedown department, taking down almost every opponent he fights. Whereas uh, my boy Nordin, he used to be all about the takedowns, but he's kind of changed his style a little bit. You know, back when he was first in the UFC and he's fighting these guys like Chris Clements and Vic Grujic, you know, he scored a combined 10 takedowns in, in both those fights since that point. I mean, uh, he's had less than half that amount with all the combined opponents. You understand what I'm saying? So he's gotten really into his TriStar technical point striking, and he's very on point with it. But, man, I feel like he's barely hanging on. You know, you go back... And you look at a fight between him and Sean Strickland. And the way people talk about that fight is that, oh, Nordin was winning the whole fight and then he got caught. <laughs> and uh, I think that's such an asinine and immature way of looking at that fight. Because what I saw was I saw Sean Strickland picking a man apart with his jab until the man could no longer hang on. And then uh, it was time to turn up. He turned up. He put the French man down. So I just didn't really see what the big deal was about how Nordin looked in that first round. And in this fight, you know, people are talking about if this goes to decision, Nordin's automatically going to win. Look, if it goes to decision, I understand both guys are Muslim, so it could go either way. But one guy has the name Muslim in his name. But no, all bullshit aside, I really think that around the second round, maybe the third, I think Muslim Salikov closes that distance and knocks out Nordin Taleb. I don't think Nordin's got the wrestling necessary to come out here and capitalize on that weakness in Salikov's game. And I got to give Salikov a lot of credit because this is a guy who, about two, three months ago, he received his purple belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. If you know anything about jiu-jitsu, you know they're not just out here handing out purple belts. If you uh, earned your purple belt, that means you're putting in work on that mat every single day. So I really think that Alex Garcia fight was embarrassing. He was pissed off. He was embarrassed. It was a wake-up call. He realized, hey, this I ain't just about to come out here and be the king of spin against Ivan George and Melvin Guillard anymore. Now we're stepping up. Now it's the UFC. So I think that he's addressed that. I think he's put in the proper work. I think he comes out here, gets the biggest win of his career, and knocks out Nordin Taleb. Next up in the welterweight division, we got Bilal, remember the name, Muhammad. He's 15-3. And, and Takashi Sato is 15-2. and two. 
Currently, they got Bilal Muhammad minus 365. The comeback on Takashi Sato is plus 305. Well, Shaq, you got Bilal Muhammad fighting in Abu Dhabi. He's one of the smartest fighters in the welterweight division. He could have been a lawyer, but he decided to be a pro MMA fighter. He's taking on Takashi Sato coming off the knockout win over Ben Saunders. Uh, you think Bilal's about to extend this win streak here in the Middle East? It was a, a really good fight. You know, they got Bilal lined up north of uh, minus 300. He opened up in the, the minus uh, upper minus twos. And Bilal Muhammad is uh, what I like to call just a... Uh, I don't want to say a gatekeeper, but he's just a guy that, you know, he just, he, he's a solid, he's always going to be a solid top 25 guy. You know, I don't ever see him really hitting the top 15. Definitely see him holding that spot outside the top 15. And, you know, this fight against Sato, uh, you know, one could say it's a setup fight, a fight to get Bilal Muhammad a win. And it probably will play out that way. You know, I've seen Sato drop by lesser fighters out there in Pancrase. Uh, he lost the glass. Echo Franca by submission. Um, the only thing I would say Sato has on Bilal is size. And uh, Bilal is not necessarily a fighter known for his knockout power. Definitely has good striking. But more than likely, this fight with Sato, they're going to have to slip and rip inside the pocket. And when the line's that wide, you know, there's definitely a chance with Sato's size and his understanding of range that he might catch Bilal. Bilal's been dropped before. But I do think Bilal's overall the better fighter. I think he'll mix in that wrestling, uh, you know, just make him uh just give him something to worry about but i've been hearing good things about sato i hear he's been getting a lot better at uh at hard knocks 365 i do think the fight could possibly play out closer just due to the fact that Bilal's not really known for his knockout power but i do think he'll he will outwork uh takanori sato for a decision win you know i've heard this narrative going on all week about how the line is too wide because Bilal Muhammad is not a finisher. And it just makes me think, like, you guys know that winning a decision is a perfectly acceptable and real way of winning a fight, right? Like, you know, it's there's nothing wrong with winning decisions, right? So I, I just don't see what the issue is with Bilal Muhammad coming out here and 30-27-ing this guy in Abu Dhabi. So to me, just because he's not going to probably get a first-round finish doesn't mean that the line is too wide. To me, I, I think he's going to come out here and take care of biz. He's too smart for this guy. He's too well-rounded for this guy. Look, Takashi Sato, I love his left hand. You know, he can drop a lot of guys with his left hand, but let's be honest here. It was 50-50 against Ben Saunders until he landed that, that left hand. The fight before that, he got dropped by some guy that, uh, let, let's just put it this way, wouldn't even get a contender series call. The fight prior to that, he got finished by Glaco Franza. So I don't really see what the big deal is with Takashi Sato. I know he's big for the weight class, so, you know, he, big deal. I think Bilal Muhammad mixes in the takedowns, uh, effectively uses his striking, keeps him guessing the entire time, and goes out here 30-27. So I'm going Bilal Muhammad to get the biggest win of his career. And I say that not based on the name value, but based on where this fight is. Uh, you're telling me a guy named Muhammad is about to come out here and lose to Sato in Abu Dhabi? I don't think so. I got Bilal Muhammad here, unanimous decision. Next up in the lightweight division, we got Otman Azaitar. He's 11-0, and Timu Pakalin is 8-2. Currently, they got Otman Azaitar, minus 235. The comeback on Timu Pakalin is plus 195. Well, Shaq... After that devastating result against Mark DeCasey, I thought we were never going to see Timu Pakalin uh, make his return to the Octagon. Well, here he is, and he's taking on the debuting Otman Azatar. He's the brother of Abu Azatar. Uh, 
You think my boy Otman comes out here and gets one for the family? Yeah, this fight with Timu is what we like to call a setup fight. You know, Azatar is definitely a little bit green. He's definitely on the entry level in terms of the lightweight division. But one thing that separates him and Timu Paklin is hard advantage. And the fact that Azatar is willing to put himself on the line to, to, to end up breaking you. And Timu Paklin, you know, we look at his fight with Mikel Labu. It was on short notice. He won the first round, gassed out the last two. And then the next two, he... He uh, knocked out a French guy named Thibaut Gaudi, who pretty much loses every single fight. And then he uh, got stiffened up by Mark DeCasey in a way where he was unconscious midair. So his confidence level is probably going to be really low. Although we haven't seen him in a really long time, he might come out with some new tricks. But he's a low percentage fighter. Azatar, the crowd's going to be on his side. And I'll tell you what, Azatar, people are saying... Yeah, you know, overall, he might not be that good, but his last three fights, progressively, they've gotten better. You know, he got dropped by a lower-level fighter, then he came back, you know, handled the guy, and then uh, his, his last fight, he smashed the guy in less than a minute. So I feel like it's uh, getting better for Azatar. He did this uh, whole camp with Khabib and them at AKA. I feel like he comes out here and overwhelms Timu Paklin for a uh, late first-round stoppage. I've been seeing Timu Paklin using the hashtag... Timu 2.0, and I'm kind of wondering what that means because Timu 1.0 wasn't anything to write home about. Here with Otman Azaitar, uh, let's just leave it at this. If this fight hits the scorecards, uh, it might be guaranteed that Otman wins this fight, but as far as the matchup is concerned, yeah, Timu's the taller guy. He's going to have a reach advantage, no doubt about it, and Otman has been put in some bad spots against some very uh, sketchy competition, but one thing I love about this kid, Otman, is he is tough as nails. He is a real fighter. This guy is a warrior. As long as he is conscious, he's going to move forward the entire time and try to win the fight by any means necessary. Whereas you look at a guy like Timu Pakalin, and when he starts to get tired, he'll start to flop to his back. He'll start to tell you to come into his guard. and He'll start rolling for leg locks. He'll do the whole bit. I mean, Timu's the kind of guy where he'll get on top of you and you'll be like, yes, Timu. Then uh, instead of keeping that top position and winning the round, he'll drop back for a leg lock, give up position, and lose the round. So you cannot trust Timu Pakalin. I got Otman Azaitar here via knockout. Next up in the Bantamweight division, we got... Liana Jojua, she's seven and two, and Sarah Morass is five and five. Currently, they got Liana Jojua minus one forty-five. The comeback on Sarah Morass is plus one twenty-five. Well, Shaq, Liana Jojua opened minus two fifteen. She's a former Fight Nights Global Champion. All the action has been coming in on Sarah Morass, who's lost, I believe, four out of her last five. So my question here is, do you think this line movement's justified? Morass has definitely been in there with a better competition on paper, but, I mean, she got smashed in pretty much all those fights. Uh, you know, she had some success against Andrade back in the day, but, I mean, for the most part, when you say Sarah Morass's name, all I think is the worst takedown defense in the history of the female, uh, female game. I mean, she can't stuff a takedown to save her life and this girl juju kind of plays a similar game but i feel like juju is going to be a lot more fresher throughout the fight you know i feel like it could be a sketchy grappling match early but uh you know when morass gets tired man she just it, it looks ugly out there man i mean her fight with Pudalova, there was chunks flying out through the air i mean she got smashed on and then uh you know her only win is by this uh this little armbar she got against evan smith so for, and she lost to Talita Bernardo, who's a complete can. So I got Juja. Yeah, look, I'm going to go with Jojua as well. I think that Sarah Morass, even though I got to give her a lot of credit, she went out there her last fight and she took down Macy Chauzon, who's a top prospect, but at the end of the day, what'd she do with that takedown? I mean, a minute or two later, she got reversed and got smashed on. So 
You know, you can't really sit here and be like, oh, all she's got to do is take down Joe Jua once and then she's going to win. I, I just don't see it going down like that. And with Liana Joe Jua, one thing I really like about this girl, similar to how we were breaking down Atman Azitar, Liana Joe Jua is extremely tough, okay? She's very small for the weight class and, you know, she hasn't fought the toughest level of competition, but she is tough as hell. And I really like the fact that, you know, she was going out there and smashing all these girls in the first round, you know, arm bars, heel hooks, the whole bit. But I need to know what happens when a fight goes the distance. Because as you know, most women's fights tend to go the distance. What's going to happen? Well, Shaq, I didn't have a sample size in terms of a three-round fight. I got to see an example in a five-round fight against an undefeated Russian with a title on the line at Fight Nights Global. I got to see what she's really about. And uh, let's just say that if this fight gets to that state where both ladies are fatigued and it comes to a battle of wills, Liana Jojua is going to tee off on Sarah Morass in a way where... I don't think we'll ever see Sarah Morass fight inside the octagon ever again. So I really think what it comes down to is when Jojua gets on top of Sarah Morass, you know, don't don't be getting caught in no arm bars. I know her last fight against Marina in Fight Nights Global, she was swimming through arm bar attempts and she got out of every single one. I would have to imagine Sarah Morass a little higher level. You know, she's a UFC fighter. She's been fighting on this level. I, I understand that. But at the end of the day, I do think Leanna Jojua is going to get out of all the attempts. Maybe even get a submission of her own, but at the end of the day, get the more dominant positions and win this fight. Be the tougher fighter. Go out there, get her arm raised. So I'm going Liana Jojua for the victory. Next up in the featherweight division, we got the return of Zubera Tukugov. He's 18-4, and and Lerone Murphy is 8-0. and Currently, they got Zubera Tukugov, minus 400. The comeback on Lerone Murphy is plus 325. Well, Shaq, Zubera Tukugov opened almost 6-1 to one here. He's currently 4-1. to one. Taking on the newcomer, Leron Murphy, who comes from the British scene. And this fight kind of reminds me of a fight a couple months back between uh, Magomed Mustafaev and Rafael Fiziev. For whatever reason, everyone and their dog was on uh, this kid, Rafael Fiziev. I don't know. Beca oh, because the Russian's coming off a layoff. Therefore, we're going to fade him. Well, this Russian's coming off a layoff. You want to fade him too? I don't think so, Shaq. Uh... But I need to know your opinion first. Yeah, you know, this fight kind of reminds me of uh, something similar to Leo Santos versus Stevie Ray. You know, you got uh, Leo Santos at the time coming off this huge layoff. And, you know, everyone was just assuming that he wasn't that he wasn't training, that he wasn't up to anything. And uh, it turns out he was. And I feel like that's going to be the same case here. Look, Leo Murphy, I'm sure he'll go on to to uh, get a win in the UFC eventually. But look, when, when guys out there on the England local scene... You know, the, these guys that he's been fighting, you know, where he has to resort to taking them down because he got rocked. That's all I needed to see. He's never fought anything like this before. Yeah, you know, people are saying Zubair is overrated. Like, what, overrated in a sense of a, a top 15, 20 because he lost a split decision to Hanato Moicano a couple years back? I mean, his fight with uh, Felipe Nova should have been a 30-27. Look, Zubair Tsukugov, you know, is he a, a top 15 guy? Probably not, but uh, I wouldn't go as far as say that he can't come out here and handle a guy that's, you know, never fought anything like this. Yeah, the guy's a, a little big, but I mean, like I said, guys have put him in up. Jobbers have put him in worse spots, and I feel like Zubair's going to come out here, bounce around, do his thing, and eventually hit this guy with a left hook and spaz on him and knock him out in the, in the first round. So I think uh, Zubair should be a little bit lined higher. I think he's one of the, the more safer favorites on the card, and I think uh, this is another setup fight, kind of similar to Azatar and uh, Paklin. Kind of similar to Magomed Mustafaev versus Rafael Fiziev. Look, uh, just because the guy's coming off a three-year layoff doesn't mean he hasn't been training and doesn't mean that he's been... He's not been putting in work with 
top level competition every single day, like Habib Nurmagomedov. And I, I just think he's going to come out here and take care of biz. I mean, I saw Leroy Murphy in there with guys who are nowhere near UFC caliber, and he was getting rocked. He had to shoot for his life to get these takedowns and try to get that guy out of there. And you think he's going to come out here when he gets rocked by this left hook and takedown? A guy with the Sambo credentials of Zubera Tukhugov, who, by the way, has better Sambo credentials than a lot of the Russians we see. It's just that for Zubera Tukhugov, he chooses to stand and bang with most of the guys he fights. And someone might wiki-cap this fight and say, uh, he went to split decision with the male nurse, Felipe Nover. Okay, if you watch that fight, explain to me how it was a split decision. Because I saw Zubera Tukhugov give Felipe Nover a tour of the octagon. So I scored that 30-27, maybe even 30-26, so I don't see how that was a split decision at all. Look, bottom line here is that, am I picking Zubera by finish or by decision? That's the real question here. And you know what, Shaq? I'm taking him by a left hook knockout. I got Zubera to who got for the win. Next up in the flyweight division, we got Andrea KGB Lee. She's 11 and two. And Joanne Jojo 2.0 Calderwood is 13 and four. Currently, they got Andrea Lee minus 225. The comeback on Joanne Calderwood is plus 185. Well, Shaq, I mean, I went on record many times and said the whole JoJo 2.0 thing was complete bullshit. But that being said, is this line a little bit wide here, or do you think it's justified with Andrea Lee being an over 2-1 to one favorite? Yeah, JoJo kind of got outclassed her last fight against Kaylin Chukagian, you know, who uh, is about to be in this number one contender fight. So she did have three rounds against, uh, you know, one of the top girls in the world, but at the same time, We've seen a lot of girls have quote-unquote good fights with Chukagian, so I'm not sure how much stock one should put into it. So uh, her fight, I mean, look, we know the deal with Calderwood. She's got good striking. Uh, her boxing's not as good as her kicking. She does cut up, cut open easily. That nose bleeds easily. And, you know, Lee, on the other hand, I think she's good. I think she's a good prospect. I do think she might be a little bit overhyped just due to the fact that, you know, her fights with Lee, uh, not Lee, but Montana De La Rosa, uh, Evan, uh, Ashley Evan Smith and uh, Macedo, there's just moments in all those fights where you could see someone better could capitalize. The Macedo fight, she got caught with a big head kick, and of course she was able to bail herself out with the takedowns against someone like Macedo. Evan Smith, I mean, I don't really need to say much on that. Uh, she definitely won every round, but it wasn't like... Uh, <laughs> It wasn't like anything special, in my opinion. And her fight with De La Rosa, I was there live. She stuffed the takedowns, landed the better boxing uh, against someone whose boxing sucks. So Andrea Lee's done what she's supposed to do for the most part. I do edge her in this fight slightly, but I feel like it possibly has all the makings to be a close split decision type of fight. I feel like JoJo's a lot better than the, than the girl she's fought. But also, JoJo generally loses to that prospect. You know, she generally loses to the... The Calvillos, the Andrages, the Moroses. Lee pro might probably scrape it out, but I feel like it has all the potentials to be uh, a fight where you're yelling at Lee on your TV, telling her to throw Mar because for once she's finally having an off night. So the longer you play her at lines like that, it'll be trouble, but I think she'll probably scrape out a decision win. So even though I was saying the whole JoJo 2.0 thing is total bullshit, I still got to admit that she made a lot of improvements in her last fight against Chukagan. Even though I scored the fight for Chukagan, I still didn't think that Joanne looked that bad. Whereas in past fights, when she's gotten that step up in competition, she's gotten straight blown out the water. I mean, I know you remember that fight against Andrade. I know you remember that fight against Moroz, who wasn't even a step up in competition. Uh, Joanne was a huge favorite, but hey, she got blown out in that first round. Even back in Scotland against Cynthia Calvillo, where it's like, hey, 
you know, just go out here and don't get choked out and you win. Nope, you lost. So it's one of those things where, you know, I, I do think that now that she moved up in weight class, it's definitely going to aid her a little bit. And I kind of felt like the opening line was more accurate in this spot for how I feel this fight's going to go down. You know, minus 165 for Lee. Okay, you know, I understand that. Slight lean on Lee. But here at almost 2-1, to one, you're telling me she's going to come out here and put on a show. And, bro, we saw her last fight in Greenville against De La Rosa. And there were a lot of sketchy moments in that fight where we're like, man, someone better can definitely capitalize. Well, this is someone better. Now the question is, are they going to capitalize? I don't know. But I think the number might be on point to take a shot here. So I'm going to go with Joanne Calderwood via split decision. Next up in the lightweight division, we got Merbeck Beckin Taisumov. He's 27-5. and and Carlos Diego Ferreira is 15-2. and two. Currently, they got Merbek Taisumov, minus 270. The comeback on Diego Ferreira is plus 230. Well, Shaq, you know we've been really high on both of these guys, especially Diego Ferreira. He's made us a lot of money. I mean, I know everyone remembers those plus 265 odds against Olivier Aubin Mercier. Also, that time when he went out there and, and starched uh, Gordon as well. But my question here is, man, do you think he has what it takes to beat Merbeck Tysonov? Because I have a feeling, Shaq, the winner of this fight is getting a lightweight ranking. Tysonov has kind of been held back due to the visa issue. So, I mean, to be honest, I feel like this is a guy that, you know, he's probably top 15. But due to this visa issues, he hasn't been able to make that typical U.S. debut against one of these uh, U.S. Uh, on their way out lightweights that some of these guys typically get. So it's unfortunate, but hey, he's fine. He, now they're bringing the show to him, to you know his territory, so we'll see how he does. Now, I love all the improvements that Carlos Diego's made since he got knocked out by Dustin Poirier. I mean, back then, his stand-up was definitely a little bit raw. He definitely charged in recklessly, and he paid for it in that fight. And ever since then, man, he's come back, and he's made as much improvements as he possibly could. He fought OAM, who was the top prospect at the time. Although he did beat OAM's ass, he definitely got wobbled in that fight once. You know, OAM did wobble him with an uppercut. His fight after that against Jared, Jared Gordon was a wipeout. He definitely he tied his hands behind his back and and uh, pounded his head in. But his fight after that with Kyle Nelson. Kyle Nelson's a 45er and look, Kyle Nelson hits hard, but he, he I mean he hurt Diego to the body and Diego uh, was able to survive due to his jujitsu. His jujitsu will save him out of a lot of things. And then uh, his fight with Rustam Kabilov. Look, I mean him winning that fight, you know, could put. A lot of stock into it. It's a, definitely a good win over a guy like Rustam, who was on a, you know, think five, six fight winning streak at the time. But though he had one of the sketchiest five, six fight winning streaks, you know, in the history of the sport. I mean, he almost got knocked out by Wade. He, um, he got fully mounted by Buscape, uh in Germany. He uh, arguably lost to Des Green. He, you know, had this shitty uh, fight with Cajun Johnson. I mean, Rustam Kabila was showing all the signs of a faded old Russian. I don't think Tysonov was showing those signs. I feel like as far as how they match up on the feet, I feel like Tysonov is way too fast for Carlos Diego Ferreira. And I said I like all the improvements he's making, but this is just a completely different level. Merbeck Tysonov, I mean, when you look at his last fight with Green, he missed weight by six pounds. He honestly, that was probably, I don't want to say the worst he's ever looked. It was just the sluggish he's ever been. And he still beat Dez's ass for three rounds. You know what I'm saying? I feel like the talent level on this guy is dead.
definitely top, maybe even top 10 worthy. And I feel like as long as he comes in shape here, as long as he, you know, makes weight, as long as he does his job, not to mention that Carlos Diego's also been having some weight issues uh, in his fights as well. But as long as Tysonov makes weight, the speed advantage is too much to overcome for Diego. And I feel like Tysonov's takedown defense is too good. I mean, uh, I feel like Carlos Diego might have a very tough night. The only way I can see him win this fight is if Tysonov slips on a banana pill and uh, happens to get his back taken, you know. So I got to go with Tyson Mob by first-round knockout. I think uh, the counter right hand's going to be there. I feel like Carlos Diego is just slightly too slow, just uh, a little bit too hittable for guys like Tyson Mob. But I respect the run that he's been on, and I think that as long as he stays, you know, mentally in it, he can continue that run after this fight. But I got to go with Tyson Mob by first-round knockout. Yeah, I'm a big fan of both of these guys, uh... It's really cool to see a, a matchup between two top 20 guys fighting for a top 15 spot because I truly believe the winner of this fight is going to come out here, get that ranking, and then go on to do some big things because both these guys are on big win streaks. Both these guys have been getting impressive finishes. And in their last fights where they both actually missed weight, Shaq, and they both went out there and won decisions, I was really impressed too, man. So I can't wait for this fight. You know, on paper, you can give me the whole striker versus grappler stuff and, you know, this and that. But the reality here is Maribek Tysimov actually has a wrestling background. And Diego Ferreira, even though he's a third-degree black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, he's been uh, favoring his stand-up his whole uh, UFC career. I mean, don't get me wrong. When he drops guys, he'll choke them out or pound them out. Or when guys shoot takedowns on him, he'll reverse the position, take their back and stuff like that. But you don't often see Diego Ferreira going out there and establishing takedowns of his own. And I think that's going to be his undoing in this fight, man, because against a guy like Merbek Taisumov, who has the kind of takedown defense he has, I mean, he's a serious athlete, that explosion, those hips, man, it's, it's something serious. So I think even if Diego was trying to go out there and establish takedowns, I think Merbek would stuff him. But the thing is, Diego's got a lot of pride. Diego's a badass. Diego likes to stand and bang until one man falls. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen here, Shaq. I think they are going to stand and bang until one man falls. I think Maribek Tysonov is going to land the knockout blow here. Next up in the heavyweight division, we got Curtis Razor Blades. He's 11-2, and, and Shamil Abdurakhimov is 20-4. and four. Currently, they got Curtis Blades minus 500. The comeback on Shamil Abdurakhimov is plus 400. Well, Shaq, this is the only of on the whole card that's a huge underdog. He's plus 400 right now at the betting window. I mean, uh, Shamil's coming off the best performance of his career against Marcin Tybura. Went out there and put him away. Is that enough to take this big step up in competition, crack the top five of the rankings, and uh, beat Curtis Blades? Curtis Blades has pretty much solidified himself as a top three, four heavyweight in the game today. We know that he's up there as, as far as uh, one of the best wrestlers in the division. And his last fight against Big Titties, I mean, he... Uh, he put it on him, man, and Blades, uh, it just seems like he, he can't get over the uh, the Francis Ngannou hurdle. <laughs> my boy, uh, my boy, Big Titty, had to get breast reduction after that fight. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, I, I like Blades' wrestling. We, I mean, that'll pretty much bail him out of most of his fights, but on the feet, I mean, I feel like not much has really changed. Although it's gotten better, I just feel like he's one of those guys that, I don't want to say he'll never get truly comfortable on the feet, but I think... Uh, He'll just always hide behind it, you know what I'm saying? So I think that uh, this fight with Shamil, Shamil's been looking a lot better fight to fight, man. Uh, I've been keeping my eye on Shamil for the last year. I've been seeing his, the improvements he's been putting in. I like the way he passes Arlovsky test, but at the same time, Shamil has had his sketchy moments when it's come to the wrestling, whether it be Tim Johnson, whether it be Andre Arlovsky. So I do have to favor Blades, but man, heavyweight division plus 400, 
of in Muslim territory, I would not be shocked if uh, Shamil landed a, a heavyweight lucky punch and knocked him out. So I'm going to go with Blades, but betting perspective, uh, Shamil are passing. So obviously Shamil is on the best run of his entire career because I know you remember that fight against Chase Sherman and the pre-fight talk, Sherman was talking about how uh, – I got to fight the most boring guy in the heavyweight division. <laughs> you remember that? And then uh, Shamil went out there and knocked him out in under two minutes. So, so much for being the most boring heavyweight. Next fight goes out there, beats Arlovsky. But we got to mention, Arlovsky did take him down twice in that fight, Shaq. Next fight against Tibora, performance of his career, knocks Tibora out. Beautiful job. Now you got this step up in competition, Shamil. How are you going to deal with it? Well, in my opinion, for Shamil to win this fight, Curtis Blades needs to come out here and try to test his stand-up. Because even though only Francis Ngannou has gone out there and beat Curtis Blades, I've seen moments in other fights where, you know, it might be a little chinny, okay? Not, not to the point where you touch him one time, the fight will be over shortly after. But I'm just saying, if he tests his stand-up here against Shamil, look, four-ounce gloves, these guys are heavyweights. Shamil's got a puncher's chance if Blaze decides to test his stand-up. That being said, you look at the what the numbers say in terms of the grappling, and Blades is out here. He averages close to seven takedowns per 15 minutes. I mean, that's pretty fucking good, Shaq. You know what I'm saying, man? And uh, I think that if he comes out here, doesn't worry about this fight being on pay-per-view, doesn't worry about, you know, the the Shamil favorite crowd, you know, booing if you go out there and hump his leg. As long as he doesn't worry about any of that bullshit, don't worry about Dana White trashing you because you're going to come out here and impregnate a man on live TV, you know, make him take plan B the next day. As long as Curtis Blades doesn't give a shit what no one's talking about, I think he comes out here and humps Shamil for three straight rounds, maybe even gets a ground and pound TKO. I'm going Curtis Blades here for the win. Next up in the lightweight division, we got Islam Makachev. He's 17-1. and and Davi Hamosh is 10 and 2. Currently, they got Islam Mahashev minus 345. The comeback on Davi Hamosh is plus 285. Well, Shaq, Davi Hamosh has made us a lot of money in his UFC career. I mean, I know you remember uh, that max bet against Chris Gritzmacher. The only thing is, man, he ain't fighting the Chris Gritzmachers or the John Gunthers anymore uh, or the Austin Hubbards. Now he's fighting Islam Makachev. But do you think with those Brazilian jiu-jitsu credentials and his UFC experience that he has what it takes to come out here, not just beat Islam Makachev, but go out there and take his top 15 spot? This is going to be a tough fight for Davi just due to the fact that Islam uh, doesn't really give you much to go off of. You know, he keeps it really safe in his fights. He, you know, honestly doesn't really engage that much. He uh, just looks to grab them singles and uh, gets that clinch position and, you know, either takes you down and kills time or keeps you on that clinch but you know we've seen a couple fights where he's been fighting these old guys like t-bow and uh, cajun johnson where he can get these uh quick little finishes i do think davi's probably one of the more dangerous well-rounded guys that he's fought in a while considering his last few opponents being you know saruki and uh t-bow and cajun johnson but davi has also been fighting guys like Gritzmacher, John Gunther, Austin Hubbard, guys that, you know, can't even breathe Islam's there. So Islam, as long as he keeps it safe, he's going to win a decision. You know, I know he ain't losing no decision in Abu Dhabi to uh, to to Davi Ramos. I don't know how Davi's going to possibly find a way to, to submit him, but I will say what, Chris Wade is the only guy that I've seen have any type of success, and Chris Wade did sweep him like three times, so we'll see what Davi can do, but I got to go with Islam. I just think uh, he, Davi's going to maybe just make bad uh, bad decisions here, maybe flop to his back when he shouldn't, 
Just, uh, I just think it's going to be a lackluster decision for Islam. Man, uh, I'm really pumped about this fight because obviously Davi Hamash, like we mentioned, got so much respect for the guy. And what can you say about Islam Makachev? Really made tons of improvements. I mean, I know you guys remember that Adriana Martins fight. Well, since that point, you see the kind of win streak he's on. And I was super impressed with that fight against Armand Sarukian. I know that kid's really green. I know he's really young. And I know people made a really big deal about that fight, but honestly, man, you should make a big deal about it because that kid Armand Sarukian was so dominant with his takedowns uh, on his regional footage, even his fight after Islam against the OAM. I mean, when this guy wants to take you down, chances are he's going to take you down. Well, that wasn't the case with Islam Makachev, man. You saw those scrambles throughout that fight, especially in that first round. Some beautiful stuff, man. And with Davi Hamosh, uh, even though I did see some openings in the Islam versus Sarukian fight for Davi to take the back, man, I, I'm not sure if those are going to present themselves here, kind of like they did in that fight where it was, you know, two wrestlers. Here it's a wrestler versus a jiu-jitsu guy. So I think that Islam might come out here with a different game plan. But it's just one of those things where you know how dangerous Davi Hamosh is. You know that he does throw big bombs on the feet, no doubt about it. And his jiu-jitsu is world-class, some of the best in the entire sport. So... You know, if Islam Makachev hasn't been training his jiu-jitsu, if he hasn't been grappling every day with Habib and Daron Wynn and Daniel Cormier and all these guys, then, you know, you give up your back to Davi Hamosh. I don't care who you are. You could get choked out. And I see a lot of people saying that Davi Hamosh only path to victory is a finish. And I understand where they're coming from, but my whole argument against that was, I mean, you saw his last fight against Austin Hubbard. Not to compare Hubbard to Makachev, not even close. I'm just saying if I were to make an argument for Davi Hamosh winning a decision, it would be, well, Probably via back control, right? You know, take his back, don't let him turn in, seal off the rounds that way. But at the end of the day, what I think is going to be the difference here is that Islam Makachev seems like he's further along in his career than Davi Hamosh. I think Davi Hamosh has a very bright career, man. I think he's got a bright future. I think that he's a very talented guy. And I don't think that he's sub or bust, man. I think the guy comes out here, throws big bombs. I think he's trying to uh, round out his game, he mixes in takedowns. He's trying to be a well-rounded mixed martial artist. But at this point in time, I just think that Islam Makachev has you know, fought the tougher level of competition. He's just more experienced, simply put. So I think he goes out here and wins the decision against Davi Hamosh. Next up in the lightweight division, we got the co-main event of the evening. It's a rematch, Shaq, between Edson Barboza. He's 20-7. and seven. And Paul, the Irish Dragon Felder, is 16-4. and four. Currently, they got Edson Barboza minus 150. The comeback on Paul Felder is plus 130. Well, Shaq, the first time they fought, ironically enough, I actually bet on Paul Felder in that spot as an underdog. And the first round, it looked like things were going according to plan. You know, he shut his eye with that left hook. And then uh, Edson Barboza had his signature spin kick to the dick. Paul Felder never recovered. He lost the next two rounds. Now that they rematch in Abu Dhabi, who do you think wins the rematch here? Yeah, this is a great matchup, a good rematch. The first fight, Edson was able to land the harder strikes for two of the three rounds. And, man, a lot has changed since that fight. I mean, the journeys that uh, both of them, especially Felder, have been on since then is kind of crazy, you know, uh, that was Felder's third UFC fight, a fight that he probably, you know, he was the hot prospect at the time, but he just uh, quite wasn't ready, you know. He wasn't really that far off. It's just uh, little details, and it seems like it's taken him a, a long time to uh, kind of start improving on those little details, man. So after that fight, he lost to Ross Pearson. He uh, lost to Trinaldo. He struggled with Josh Berkman. He uh, <laughs> lost two rounds to Crookshank, and then... Uh, came back to win the third. I mean, Felder has been on quite the journey. Now he's 
commentating fights, and I definitely see a big change since he went to Rufus Sport. Just kind of in his in his morale, man. Not a you know. It just seems like they have a a really good connection. You know, it seems I know Felder was hopping gym from gym a lot early on in his career, but I definitely don't think he will be hopping gyms from now on. I definitely think he's uh, going to be at Rufus Sport. And Edson Barbosa, on the other hand, you know, he's at ATT now. And Edson, one of the better lightweights of all time. Some of the flashiest KOs in the history of the sport. The Dariush KO, the Terry Adam KO, the leg kick TKOs, the, you know, the hooker knockout. I mean, the guy has uh, definitely bought some of the best excitement in the history of the sport. But when you look at his career lately, I think there's a very good chance that it's going to start going downhill. I mean, he had the fight with Khabib and there's no shame in losing to Khabib. You know, there's no shame in that. But the damage happened and it was severe damage. I mean, he got smashed on for 15 minutes badly. And then he Came back in the main event against Kevin Lee and got smashed on even worse. I mean, several free shots to his face. And then he fought Hooker, and Hooker underestimated him because those last, the, the two fights prior, and he thought it was a cakewalk in the bag, and he started talking a little bit prematurely. And Hooker really, you know, I wouldn't say he has the uh, that style as those two, but I just feel like Hooker went into that fight with a bad mindset. If he was the favorite in that fight, he never beat anything like that before. It paid, and then he uh, got matched up with Justin who at the time people still weren't necessarily sold on Justin. He was coming off the two losses and then the KO against Vic. People were still saying, what if Edson touches his chin? But the fact that the fight was pretty much pretty much wrapped up in less than a couple minutes was a, a good sign to me that I feel like Edson Barbosa is probably going to go on the on the decline here. Whenever you see Edson start swinging like that, you know, that's a sign that he's given up. Now, Paul Felder doesn't necessarily apply that type of pressure, but I just like what I'm seeing, the, gen- the, the, the gradual improvements out of Paul, man. I just feel like his size is different now. His confidence is different. Back in the day, I feel like he would have probably overthought this fight and just beat himself up. As we're now, he knows now he knows that he can clear that top 10 hurdle in his career. I feel like he's known that this fight's been on the horizons. I think he comes out here, puts pressure on Edson Barboza. I feel like he's a lot more of a threat technically to Edson than a lot more other guys. And I feel like Edson's going to have to keep that in mind. And I just don't think he has the chin to keep it together for 15 minutes. I feel like the only way he can win is by knockout. And I feel like Paul Felders has one of the better chins. So the only the only way he can win by his knockout, I feel like, you know, a couple years ago, he could have kept it together to win a decision. But the guy just cannot hold his ground. He gets backed up very easily. And I think that's going to happen here. I feel like Felder's got the better ground game. I feel like there's a lot of things trending for Felder and a lot of things not trending for Edson Barboza. So I'm going to go with Paul Felder. So, man, in Edson Barboza's last four fights, he's eaten over 300 head strikes. That's kind of alarming. I mean, it's to the point where when you look at this guy's numbers, he got beaten up so badly in three of his last four fights that now his strikes landed to strikes absorb ratio is negative. So if that's not a sign of a decline, I don't know what is. And the guy already had a very questionable chin. I mean, I don't got to remind you guys about that time that Jamie Varner knocked him out. I don't got to remind you about that time that uh, Donald Cerrone dropped him with a jab, etc., etc. And then the beatdowns against Habib and Kevin Lee, you know, we can sit here and say, well, Paul Felder doesn't shoot takedowns. That's not going to happen. And I agree. He doesn't shoot takedowns. But if you think that, you know, close to 300 strikes absorbed to the head aren't going to diminish his chin even more and his confidence, I don't know what you're thinking, man. These are human beings we're talking about. And 
I just don't see how Edson Barboza keeps maintaining that top uh, eight. You know, it used to be top five, right, Shaq? Now it's top eight. Then it's going to be top 10. Then it's going to be top 15. Then he's going to be unranked. So I just don't see how he's going to maintain this spot that much longer. And, you know, the Hooker fight, we can talk about that. Great performance. But, you know, Hooker was pulling a stunt before that fight even started. You know, Hooker was doing what every young fighter does when they get that big step up. They think the guy's on his way out. They start talking a lot. Then they get destroyed. You know what I mean? Uh... It happened to my boy Vic against Gaethje. Uh, sometimes when these guys start talking a little bit, look, it happened to Alex Perez against Joseph Benavidez. When these young these young fighters get that big step up in competition and the step up in competition is coming off a devastating loss, the young prospect uh, starts to run their mouth a little bit and then they get in big trouble. And I, I think that's what happened there to Hooker. But then that next fight against Gaethje, I know it's Gaethje, but look, man. It wasn't one of those Gaethje back and forth wars, you know, life and death. It was just Gaethje just ran him over in the first round like it was nothing. I mean, a couple calf kicks to the guy who was allegedly supposed to be the best kicker in the game. Well, it's Gaethje who's going out there and, and calf kicking Edson Barbosa. And then when it was time to go upstairs, he doubled up on that right hook, put him to sleep. Game, set, match. You know, we can sit here and talk about how, oh, but Barbosa got a call that his wife was going into labor a couple minutes before the fight. Okay, I respect Edson for taking a fight, you know, during those circumstances, all that stuff. But guys, if you think that's why he got knocked out, uh, I don't know what to say. I mean, he got knocked out because he's got no chin because Gaethje hits really hard. Now we're taking it a step further to Paul Felder. And, you know, there's things I can criticize Felder for. You know, I wish he'd throw more. I wish that, you know, he wouldn't make facial expressions when he gets hit. But, man, he's gotten better about that stuff, you know. When, when he fought Edson the first time, even when he fought Ross Pearson, if that guy was rematching Edson, you know, I'm not convinced that guy wins. But since that point, man, he's definitely matured. He's definitely been through the ups and downs. And now he got over a hurdle where we thought he was never going to get over, you know. So when he knocked out Danny Castillo, I kind of jumped the, the gun kind of like everyone else did. And I thought, oh, man, I've never seen a performance like that before. This guy's going to be a future world champion, this and that. Goes out there against Edson Barbosa. He's an underdog. I'm like, oh, man, we're going to go out there, beat this guy. Close his eye with the first left hook. Then, you know, the nut punt, we can say that was a big factor or it wasn't. But he lost the next two rounds, then loses the next fight to, to Ross Pearson. So I kind of gave up on Felder for a little bit. Had a couple, you know unspirited fights with Berkman and Crookshank. We were kind of like, man, maybe maybe we're wrong about Felder. Maybe he was a hype job the whole time. But man, since that point, you know, he's been putting in work at 155 pounds. The knockouts that he's been getting, that fight against Charles Dubronx, when Charles Dubronx ran him through the submission series and Paul Felder survived something that many people don't, got on top of him, pounded him out. The fight with Mike Perry, up a weight class at 170, breaks his arm in the first round, keeps fighting the next two. And then against James Vick, who was ranked number 10 in the world at the time, Went out there, ate a lot of shots that would have put other men down. Like, those straight rights were landing really hard. And not only that, man, uh, dealt with a big injury in that third round and didn't quit. So I'm very impressed with the progression of Paul Felder. Now it's about we know he's not a big pressure guy, and pressure is historically Edson's downfall. We know they are going to stand and trade a little bit, so that could give Edson a path to victory. But I just think that when Felder lands on that chin, man, you know, you, you can only have nine lives for so long. You know what I'm saying, man? And, and I think we're going to be reminded that this guy is really chinny. I think it's going to be a left hook knockout, man. So I'm going Paul Felder here inside the distance. I think he knocks out Edson Barbosa, wins the rematch, gets the biggest win of his career, breaks that uh, top eight, and gets a big fight afterwards. Main event of the evening for the lightweight title. We got Habib the Eagle, Nurmagomedov, he's 27-0, and Dustin the Diamond Poirier is 25-5. 
Currently, they got Habib Nurmagomedov minus 450. The comeback on Dustin Poirier is plus 360. Well, Shaq, uh, Habib was only about, you know, a minus 150 to minus 170 favorite against Conor McGregor. Here against Dustin the Diamond, who's been looking better than he ever has, he's minus 450. Now, is Habib so damn dominant that this line is justified? Or is it one of these cases where if you see a 360 next to a fighter of the caliber of Dustin Poirier's name, you got to take it automatically? What's your thought? Khabib Nurmagomedov is, man, he's dominant. And the guy barely loses rounds. But when I look at his last few fights, you know, in all due respect, I mean, he went out there and dominated these guys the way you're supposed to. <laughs> you know, they were, Conor McGregor was definitely, he treated him accordingly. But truly, I believe that Conor McGregor mentally and physically was not a, was not in condition to fight, especially mentally i mean just look at that press conference and half the shit the guy's saying i mean guys we all know that floyd mayweather changed this guy's life for the worse now he's on a two-year coke binge now he's got <laughs> now he's punching old guys in bars now he's got and not knocking you know, them out <laughs> and, and not knocking them out now he's got you know maybe babies on the side now he's got <laughs> rape you know, allegations <laughs> He's got sexual assault allocations. I mean, the guy is on a, a straight path for uh, uh, Irish BJ Penn, you know. <laughs> 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 you know, so, uh, you know, but, but hey, at least Khabib went out there, got on that single and uh, beat his ass, man. So it seems like Khabib really comes out with really, it's, I mean, his, his uh, pace early seems to just overwhelm guys like Ayakinta, you know, McGregor. And uh, he, he usually gets off to a good two round start where the he's built up a lead so so wide and then the third round is kind of when he seems like when he starts to get a bit a little bit fatigued and that's when he kind of goes to his boxing and his boxing's real good too man his boxing sharp as hell and uh i mean he outboxed ally akinta he uh dropped conor mcgregor so man khabib is a complete fighter 100 percent. and now his opponent dustin poye i mean this is a guy where when he left the featherweight division he had the most finishes he had the most wins and since he's been up at lightweight he's continued the same I mean, this guy, Dustin Poye, is the definition of violence. I mean, the knockout wins over Eddie Alvarez and Justin Gaethje. I mean, if this guy wobbles you, don't be shocked if he closes the show. And uh, just the, the fights that he's been through mentally, you know, at the time, the Gaethje fight, although Gaethje was coming off a loss, I, I feel like in terms of caliber of fighter, Gaethje's got a lot of potential. And the fact that Dustin Poirier got through that fight showed that mentally he's gone places and it's gotten better progressively with the wins over Holloway now. A guy who was on a 13-fight win streak who some people were saying uh, was unbeatable and was never going to lose. So, you know, <laughs> I feel like, yeah, you know, it's a definitely an uphill battle with the wrestling. But I got Dustin Poirier on the feet against any man in the world at 155 pounds. I truly believe if he touches any man on the chin at 155 pounds that they will feel it, that they will stumble, that they will wobble. And like I said, if he, if that happens, don't be shocked if he closes the show. Now, Khabib Nurmagomedov, he's got the great cardio. He's able to just keep going. But like I said, it seems like he likes to go to his boxing a lot more in these fights in the late rounds and on fight night i feel like dustin poye is going to be a lot heavier i feel like it's going to take a little bit more energy to hold dustin poye down he's not going to be mentally deterred like ally akinta who only had one day to train and and uh conor mcgregor so if there is value on dustin i got a lot of respect for khabib and i'll go ahead and say khabib's he's probably most likely probably going to pull out the win but i gotta go with dustin poye paid in full i am a little biased but i think he sparks him unconscious in the first round 
Man, so <laughs> this is fucking amazing that Dustin Poirier has made it all the way to an undisputed title shot against Habib Nurmagomedov because Dustin Poirier has been one of our favorite fighters for the longest time, not just because he's a great guy, but because look at the way he fights, man. Tell me a more exciting fighter than Dustin Poirier. Well, or Justin Gaethje. Uh, yeah, Dustin Poirier knocked out Justin Gaethje, so don't even try me on that. And let, let's talk about this matchup. So I'm going to say all the good things about Habib in a second, but let me talk about the plus 360 underdog first. So, you know, I've been hearing about how Dustin Poirier has never fought a guy that brings tremendous pressure. Oh, really? What do you call Justin Gaethje? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And not only that, like, I get it. Like, you know, that was a stand-up fight, not a, not a grappling match, so... You know, it's a different kind of pressure, no doubt about it. But to sit here and act like he hasn't fought a guy that brings serious pressure is complete horseshit because Justin Gaethje brings some of the best pressure in the history of the sport. So he knocked that guy out. Now, okay, let's address the fact that it's not going to be stand-up pressure this time. It's going to be, you know, constant shooting at the legs. And we haven't really seen Dustin in there with too many wrestlers. Now, back to Gaethje. He is a D1 wrestler. I mean, if you know about Arizona, you know about Justin Gaethje. But... Justin likes to stand with everyone he fights, so should we just kind of act like, you know, he didn't fight a D1 wrestler there? Okay, that being said, we haven't really seen Dustin have to get back up from bottom too much. And when we have seen it against Eddie Alvarez, I mean, he kind of gives up some bad spots, and, you know, it's one of those things where Khabib might smash him if he gets on top of him. You know, when Habib gets on top of these dudes, he throws that ground and pound from the heavens, man, so... You know, it's one of those things that happens here. You can't be surprised. That's just what Habib does. But I also agree with you when you talk about this is one of the toughest guys that Habib has ever fought. And I agree with that. Since he fought Rafael Dos Anjos back in 2014, I do think this is the toughest guy he's fought. And I know someone's going to talk about, well, McGregor and Johnson both knocked out Poirier. And you're 100% right, but they didn't knock out this version of Poirier. They didn't knock out championship caliber Poirier. They knocked out a Poirier who was figuring things out. And much respect to them, they did that. But the Poirier we see today, in my opinion, finishes both Michael Johnson and Conor McGregor because I really feel like these last few fights, we've been seeing this guy come into his own. He's always been a great fighter. He's always been perennial top 10, perennial top 5. But now we're seeing him move up to top 3, top 2. You know what I'm saying? That's a that's a hump he was never able to get over in his earlier career that he's getting over now. And I just also felt like the way he was landing his shots in that second Max Holloway fight, that's the hardest I've ever seen Poirier throw. But more importantly than that, Shaq, it's the most accurate. It's the most precise he just looked the best he's ever looked physically, the way he was throwing, his confidence. Max Holloway is a tough out. I don't care who you are. And Dustin overcame everything. So I do think that while the stand-up portion is going on, that Dustin starts to get off on some strikes. Uh, when you talk about that Dustin Poirier flurry, when he hurts his opponent and then he starts teeing off on those you know 20 to 30 strike combinations, it's some of the most beautiful finishes you've ever seen. But we got to talk about Habib's stand-up, which I think is very underrated. So a lot of people talk about how Habib... You know, he only has his grappling, his wrestling, you know, his stand-up is trash. And I completely disagree. Let me explain to you what I mean. You watch that fight against Ally Kenta, and uh, let me know whose head was getting popped back repeatedly with jabs. Let me know whose face was completely bloody from all those jabs. I mean, Habib went out there. He was putting on a jab clinic against Ally Kenta. That was a very dominant fight. I was very impressed with that performance. I know people shit on that fight. I don't know why. Maybe because Mitch Clark finished the guy and Habib didn't, but so what? Habib destroyed him in a way where, I mean, he ran through him, man. He beat him in every facet of the game. Next fight against Conor McGregor goes out there, and uh, he doesn't just hump Conor McGregor's leg, Shaq. He goes out there and drops Conor McGregor. So, 
I don't think Habib's stand-up sucks at all, man. I think Habib's actually got some really good stand-up, very underrated, and he's very uh, technical with his boxing in terms of he's not out here spinning. He's not out here doing stupid shit. Likes to set up his jab, his jab to his, to his two. I mean, I like the shit Khabib does on the feet. But that being said, man, if he tries to test it for too long against Poirier, like I said, I don't care who you are because I think Max Holloway is an unbelievable stand-up fighter too. But when you start getting cracked by a guy like Dustin Poirier, shit's, shit tends to change, man. You don't react the same. I know uh, Max Holloway's got that Hawaiian chin. He could take the, the whooping for five straight rounds, but Habib is going to have to go to that grappling. And I do think that he gets Dustin down at some points. It's just how much damage is he able to get off until Dustin's able to either, you know, start the next round on the feet or get back up and then land some damage of his own. So, you know, it's one of those things like, yeah, you know, I'd lean Habib for the obvious reasons. But again, when you got a number like this next to a guy like Dustin Poirier, this is a dogger pass situation. And who am I rooting for? Of course, I'm rooting for Dustin Poirier. Of course, I want Dustin Poirier to go out there and knock out Habib Nurmagomedov. Will it happen? I don't know. That's why we tune in to watch the fight. And sometimes when you bet on these fights, it's not about who you think is going to win. It's about the number. And that number on Dustin Poirier, I haven't seen a number like that on Dustin Poirier in, in near a decade, man. So we'll see what happens. You know, I'm rooting for Poirier. I lean Habib. But hopefully Poirier goes out there and knocks him out. Now, Shaq, we got to let them know that they can get our bets at bestfightpicks.com. Make sure you use the promo code FORTUNE to save 10% off any VIP package. Thanks to my boy uh, Tyrell Fortune, Bellator's number one heavyweight prospect, going out there with that finish. He's our new sponsored athlete, and uh, use the promo code FORTUNE to save 10% off any VIP package. And now we got to hit up Big Marley for the Big Marley Minute. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself. Kyle, it's going down this Saturday in Abu Dhabi. Khabib versus Dustin Poirier. How's it going, man? Hey, not too bad. Looking forward to that fight for sure. Uh, another morning card. Not sure how I feel about a pay-per-view being during the morning, but uh, we got 50K up top for DraftKings. So anytime uh, I can have 50K available, I don't care if it's a 10 a.m. card or, or a 10 p.m. card. I'm ready to get that 50K. Well, it's the second title fight in a row, but this time the undisputed lightweight title is on the line. You got Habib, the 27-0 undefeated champion taking on Dustin the Diamond Poirier and it's really interesting from a DraftKings perspective because obviously you know Khabib Nurmagomedov he's been DraftKings gold in the past you got to pay up for him but it's not often you get 6,900 on a guy like Dustin Poirier so my question is obviously your perspective on the fight but what I really want to know is who do you think is going to be the more popular play this week? Um, Khabib for both I think Khabib is going to be the most popular play of the week uh, everybody's going to be throwing him in just because he is DraftKings gold. He's pretty much a lock for 100 points when he fights, uh, if he wins, that is, of course. Uh, and this is a, a solid matchup for him. As long as he doesn't get knocked out, he should get this win. He should get a lot of takedowns. He averages 111 points just throughout his UFC career, and he hasn't scored under 100 since the Dos Anjos fight. And he had 96 then. He had 94 against Healy. Um, and those are three-round fights. Now he's working with five rounds every single time. So he's he's going to be good for 100-plus if he wins. But he's also going to be owned by half the field. Um, so if you're trying to get any leverage on him, you're going to have to go real heavy with your lineups or even like an all-in type of thing. Uh, I'm not against that, but I don't have the balls for that. I'll probably go like a, maybe 70-30, something like that, in favor of Khabib. But this is pretty much an all-in fight because there's no way Dustin doesn't end up on the optimal lineup if he does win. Because uh, if he wins, it's going to be a knockout, and that'll probably score a lot of points. It really doesn't even matter what round it comes in. He'll be on that optimal. 
Um, and I'll be rooting for Dustin. I'm a huge Dustin fan. I would love to see him get this win. I just think Khabib's too good. Um, and 9,300, man, if he didn't pay that off, I'd be shocked. And I think he is going to be on the optimal lineup. So I do like Khabib here. Uh, I probably will stack this fight in cash just to lock in, you know, both fighters. I got the win. I'll get the 100 plus. Um, and if Poirier does pull off the upset, I'll probably sweep my cash game. So all in on this fight. But yeah, give me Khabib. He's, he's just too good. Co-main event of the evening, you got the rematch between Edson Barboza and Paul Felder. And Kyle, when they met four and a half years ago, man, it was a very close fight. But now it seems like they're in two different uh, points of their careers. Do you think Paul Felder has done enough to catch up to Edson Barboza here? No, I don't think he has, but it's it's definitely close. Um, And I'm definitely not against using Felder. If you're picking Felder... Go ahead and use them. Uh, I don't love a whole lot of dogs on this card, so I'm sure I'm going to have a, a good amount of Felder lineups just in case he does come through. And if he does, it's probably it's a good chance that it could be a, a knockout. Uh, Barboza's taken a lot of damage since their first fight. But really, if, if I could get a, a judge on ownership, like if I knew this fight would be in most people's lineups, either way, I would just fade it because in their first fight, Barboza only scored 60 two points in a win and Felder had, I believe 23 in a loss. So if he got the win, it'd be 53. I'm not interested in that. You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to pay 7,700 or 8,500 for those kind of scores. I want to finish here. Um, and that was a fight of the night too. So it's not like we're going to have twice as much action in this fight. We're not going to see any takedowns really, unless they're from Felder's side. Um, so I think maybe the play is to just fade this fight and let everybody else get the ownership since it is the co-main event. Both are big names. It should be pretty popular. I don't really want to throw these guys in a whole lot of my lineups to get leverage over that, so I might just fade it and hope that it's similar to the first fight. But I I am going to take Barboza to get the win. So also in the lightweight division, you got Islam Mahachev taking on Davi Hamosh. And, man, it's an incredible fight. Obviously, Islam's a top 15 guy already. I think Davi might be a future top 15 guy. His jiu-jitsu is uh, second to none. Do you think he's ready at this point in his career to take such a big step up and get the win? Uh, God, I, I don't I don't think so. But this is a super interesting matchup because, I mean, it's it's Makachev's wrestling versus Ramos's BJJ unless they're stuck standing, and then I'm not sure what happens. I think Makachev probably has the better overall striking, um, but Ramos has more power. So I, I do think we're mostly going to see a striking fight here where I would prefer just to see the grappling play out because uh, I think that'd be fun. But I, I think Ramos is, is live here at 7K, and when he wins, he scores. So I'm not against using Ramos at all here. It's just hard to pick him over Makachev. Makachev's a beast himself, and I don't see Ramos getting takedowns on Makachev. So I, I could see this being one where Makachev wins a striking decision and only scores, you know, like 60 points or something like that. Um so I'm not exactly sure what I want to do with this one, but I'm leaning towards a, a dog or pass kind of thing if I'm making a small amount of lineups. I would rather just take that shot on Ramos at 7K, and that helps me pay up for Khabib and those other high-priced favorites that we want in our lineups. But if you're getting Makashev, you're going to be limited on how much Khabib you can get, um, and I would much rather have Khabib than Makashev. So speaking of 60 points, you got Shamil Abdurakhimov who averages 60 points. Taking on Curtis Blades. Now, I said earlier in my breakdown, because obviously you got a minus 500 line on Curtis Blades right now, right, Kyle? So 
we had to make some kind of case for how would Shamil win this fight. And the case I made was if Blades decides to come out here, test his stand-up, abandon the wrestling, that could give Shamil a path to victory. That being said, do you think he's going to do that? going to get back to that bread and butter, take this guy down, rinse and repeat. Yeah, I think Blades is just a better fighter everywhere here. Um, the only issue is $9,400. He's $100 more than Khabib. If I'm choosing between him and Khabib, uh, I got to say Khabib's the better play. I think Khabib's the best play on the whole slate. Uh, so it's going to limit how much of those other 9K guys I can have. But I do like Blades here a lot. I think he can win anywhere. He can get a knockout on the feet, a knockout on the ground. He can get multiple takedowns just like Khabib. Um, but, yeah, you're right. There, There is a path to victory for Shamil, and that's a knockout. Um, and if he can get that knockout, nobody's going to be on this guy. Uh, so I'm not against using him if you're chasing that 50K, but it's really that tournament only, or like maybe the mini-max, something like that where you can make a whole bunch of lineups or or like where most people are making, you know, 150 lineups. If you're making like two or three, you got to be different, and that's a way to do it. 6,800, a guy who could get a first-round knockout, and if he does, I think he's a lock for the nuts. So I like the risk-reward type of thing with Shamil. I just think he's he's got a tough tough fight ahead of him, and I don't see him pulling it out. I won't fully fade him, though, just because I, I do plan on having a decent amount of blades. So I want at least, you know, one Shamil hedge lineup because if he wins, I want my favorite Shamil, hedge, uh, Shamil lineup in there going for that 50K because he's going to be probably 10% or less owned, and th these big boys, anything can happen. So... Just a big tournament type of play is fine with me, but Blades is playable in all formats, and I do expect him to go out there and smash. So, Kyle, opening up the pay-per-view, you got a fight between two guys who are on the cusp of being ranked in the top 15 in the most stacked division in the entire sport, lightweight. You got Merbek Taisumov taking on Diego Ferreira. And I was telling Shaq, like I just mentioned, the winner of this fight is most likely getting a number by their name next Tuesday. The question is, is it going to be the knockout power of Taisumov or the third-degree black belt jiu-jitsu of Diego Ferreira? Yeah, it's going to be a good fight to target. Uh, one I'm looking forward to. Uh, Ferreira's been scoring, you know, like 120-plus points in two of his last three wins. Uh, I have a hard time seeing him do that against Tysimov, but if he can get this fight to the ground, maybe he can make it happen. I just think Tysimov's just too good. I think his wrestling defense will be able to keep this fight on the feet, and I don't see Ferreira catching him. I think Tysimov has a decent shot at a knockout here. Um, so I'd rather just go ahead and pay the 9K for him. Uh, if he can make that knockout in the first round, then there's a good chance he is on that 50K lineup. But if it goes past that first round, I'll be sweating. And in his last fight against Des Green, he only scored 44 points in a win. So if he does that again, you're dead no matter what. Even if your other five guys score well, because that's not even half his salary here at 9K. So it's definitely a risky guy. He's not going to be going out there looking for takedowns. We're strictly relying on the knockout with him. So I wouldn't go too heavy, but I am interested in him. And on a card where we're hurting for dogs, I'm not against taking some shots on Ferrer either, because he is um, a very solid fighter and for him to be that cheap uh it's just you won't see that often so i'll take a couple shots on him as well but my preferred play is tyson well kyle that's why you are the DraftKings guy for half the battle it's going down this saturday in the afternoon in abu dhabi they can follow you at big marley three 
Your bets and your write-ups are available at bestfightpicks.com. And now, Kyle, they can save 10% off your yearly package by using the promo code BIGMARLEY at bestfightpicks.com. That's right, man. This week only, though, we're going to take that away on Sunday, so you got to get it in before these fights. But if you're looking to join the team, hop on that yearly. You won't get a better price than this. This is the only time I'm going to be offering that. Uh, but, yeah, just like he said, 10%. Go over there to Best Fight Picks. Let's get the picks this weekend. And uh, we'll even throw in the DraftKings with uh, with it every week. So uh, you won't find a deal better than that. Let's get it. And Kyle Marley has been known to pay off those yearly packages in one event. Isn't that right, Kyle? That's what I like to do. Yes, sir. BestFightPicks.com. Use the promo code BigMarley to save 10% off Big Marley's yearly package. BestFightPicks.com. Follow him at BigMarley3. Kyle, good luck this weekend. We'll speak soon, my man. Thanks, man. Good luck to you and everybody listening. Let's get it. Well, Shaq, before we talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch, we got a couple fan questions that we got to answer here on Half the Battle. So, first up, Luke wants to know. He says, historically, strength of opponent is questionable for both of these guys, but do you think either Islam Makachev or Merbek Taisumov have the potential to be UFC lightweight champs in the future? Um, Lightweight champ? I mean, yeah, there's always potential. Now, how much potential? Uh, yeah. Um, hmm, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a, like, if I had to guess if either of them will become UFC champion, I'd say no. Uh, but I think that both of them are both currently probably top 10, so I guess they, uh, there would be some potential. Yeah, I mean, they're both amazing fighters, but the thing here is that Merbeck's got those visa issues, so I think that yeah, it's kind of hard. Yeah, he's not going to get an opportunity, most likely, in Islam. He just doesn't really sell like Khabib. And <laughs> yeah, so basically these guys got to keep winning in dominant fashion to get title shots. Uh, and, I mean, Tysonov's got to get these visa issues in order, so I'm going to say most likely not. Sam O'Brien wants to know who's likely... Who's a likely opponent for Habib if he loses? Is it an auto rematch or not? I think it's an auto rematch situation, yeah, if he loses. Yeah, I'm going to have to say the unless same thing. Unless, um, unless it's – I mean, just because he's so – he's got the good manager, he's got the – I'm sure there's an auto rematch. I'm, yeah, I think it's an auto rematch. I mean, it's probably in the language in, in the contract. He probably has an yeah. auto rematch clause, so I, I would say so. My boy Kevin Goodson says, what the fuck is going on with the welterweight belt? Well, I think there's some stuff going on that they're not talking about, you know, publicly. Well, I think Covington and Usman's going to get announced soon. So. Yeah, I mean, I think those guys are probably going to get announced soon. They're probably just in negotiations. But I also heard that they're trying to get uh, Diaz versus Masvidal to be the main event and put the title fight as the co-main event. So we'll see what actually happens. But I do think that, that Colby and Kamaru are going to fight for the belt for sure. All right, Raul wants to know, how big a factor is the travel? Guys like Ahmedov versus Cummings, big edge to Omari, and will the crowd, will the local crowd strongly favor the Dagestani Muslim fighters? Hell yeah, they will. I mean, you've been seeing all this uh, footage going on. You saw my boy Bilal Muhammad wearing the robe. They're getting taken to these beautiful mosques, like definitely. So my boy Mac wants to know, you uh, said it'd be awesome to hear me and Shaq take a minute and break down JDS dancing skills. So... Did you see my boy JDS on uh, Dancing with the Stars? Because he was out there killing it. Uh, yeah, I actually did see a clip of him dancing. Um, my boy JDS, look, he can move, man. Uh, he couldn't move against Francis quite enough, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he can uh, he can he can dance out there, man. Uh, you know, I hope he uh, gets voted on to the uh, 
to the next round. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I thought he went out there, put on a great performance. I thought he looked better than Chuck Liddell. I thought he definitely uh does he uh does he dance better than uh johnny walker on the way to the cage <laughs> you know johnny walker on dancing with the stars that he'd be over with right <laughs> but look jds he's doing his thing i'm happy for him and i hope to see him back on there it looked like he was genuinely happy to be there and i thought he fucking killed his dance routine man uh, you could tell he'd been putting in work been practicing that a lot and it definitely paid off so i hope he makes it to the next round as well dave wants to know who has a better shot to be to beat Habib. Poirier walking into the cage Saturday or McGregor when he walked in? Poirier walking into the cage. McGregor is not mentally or physically in condition to fight. And when he comes back, I think it's going to go downhill unless they give him, you know, uh, like a bottom of the barrel. Not bottom of the barrel, but unless they give him like a real, real setup fight, like like a Pettis, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> like, I mean, guys, have y'all not seen? He's showing all the signs of a fucking deranged cokehead on its on his way out. I mean, like I said, the guy's got he's punching old men in bars, <laughs> not he's, knocking uh, them out. He's bringing up Vladimir Putin's name and Abdul Manap and Magomed uh, in prison in Russia for embezzling money's names up at fucking press conferences, and which he knows he shouldn't be doing. Kadyrov as well. <laughs> um, he's, you know, allegedly got maybe babies out here. <laughs> um, you know, he's got a, a, a low-key sexual assault case. I mean, he's throwing dollies and buses. I mean, come on guys this guy's on his way out he's look when you get a hundred million dollars in in your irish sometimes you start putting coke up your nose you know <laughs> i mean my whole thing with this is that i think the line that mcgregor had should be the line that poirier has you know plus 150 something like that i mean even even plus 200 okay like but plus 360 i mean mcgregor looked like a fucking plus 500 dog out there he got smoked in a way where i mean we ain't, we ain't heard from him since so i definitely think poirier's got a better shot than mcgregor had just because he's in a better mindset man i mean not only does he have yeah a, he people has, have to people have to, people have to remember, remember this guy came off a floyd fight in which he's an o and o boxer and he fought a 50 and 0 boxer <laughs> like one of the greatest boxers of all time That's the like, greatest boxer you know, of all taking time. one of the you said what? The greatest boxer of all time. The greatest boxer of all time. That's like taking an Amy and telling him to go fight Floyd. He's going to get fucked up for the rest of his life, guaranteed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, dude, uh, you don't come back from that kind of damage. O and O versus 50 and O. Like, come on. That was life-changing damage. And not only that, Poirier's coming into this fight with a lot of confidence. He just beat Max Holloway. He's got a belt. So this is the most confidence Poirier has ever had in any fight. This is the best version of him we've ever seen. So I definitely think... That Poirier has a better chance than McGregor had. Old Blue wants to know, is Barboza washed? Yeah, overall picture, I'd say, yeah. And we'll see what happens Saturday night with Felder. But like I said, the type of damage that guy has been sustaining in these last few fights definitely shows all the signs of a guy on his way out. He's never... Uh, I mean, guys usually don't hover around the same spot for, how, you know, how long he is. And he's starting to fall down, you know, so... Yeah, I'm going to agree, man. I'm going to say Barboza is washed, even though he might win this fight. And if he does, I think it'll be because Felder didn't throw enough. But, man, I got Felder in this fight. And, I mean, look, man, Barboza used to be top five in the world. Now he's top eight in the world. After this fight, he's going to be top 15 in the world. And the next one, he's going to be unranked. So I do think that while he might not be washed to a point where, you know, I mean, he's already been dropped with jabs back in his prime. So I, I, let's just say he is washed, okay? Let's leave it at that. 
Pumba wants to know what's our opinion on the wave of African fighters debuting in the UFC. I vouch for pretty much every African. I I think I've tweeted my my love for the African fighters. Uh, I pretty much vouch for all of them except Kennedy uh, Njuku. Um, <laughs> yeah, but hey, even him. I mean, he's super long, man. Yeah, I mean, he won his last fight, so. But uh, I'm a big fan. I mean, they're some of the most powerful uh, athletes. I mean, they can be completely green and still win just based on pure strength and, you know, mental fortitude. So I love the African fighters. Yeah, 100%, man. I think that the emerging African prospects are some of the best athletes, just pure athletes that we've ever seen in the history of the sport. And I think over the next couple of years, we're going to start to see a lot more guys and you know, now we have two African champions with Kamara Usman and Israel Adesanya. And I think you're going to start to see a lot more guys come out there. I think Francis Ngannou might become a champion soon. And Sodiq Youssef has potential. And there, there's a lot of guys on the up. That guy that got signed off Contender Series. Even the guy that didn't get signed, Impa. So there's a lot of African prospects. You definitely have to watch out for that part of the world. Even our boy, uh, even the, the very exciting uh, Razak Al-Hassan, you know, so... Definitely, 100% uh, love the African fighters debuting. Very exciting guys, freak athletes. Can't wait to see what else they bring to the table. So TKO Pick says, do you guys think Felder's previous fight's concussion will play a role in Saturday's fight? Let me take this first. So I didn't know that Felder got a concussion in the Vic fight. I still don't know if that's true. But one thing I will say is I 100% know that Barboza got a concussion in the Gaethje fight. Nah, because the other guy got one too, right? The other guy got one way worse, and then against Lee and Bar and uh, Khabib, forget about it. So, nah, man. I, I other guys that. had other guys had like five concussions in the. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but nah, I don't think it will. Yeah, I don't. I I don't really think it will either, man. So, all right, well, Shaq. Now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So, real quick, just thank you to all the fans for sending us those questions. We really appreciate it. And thank you guys for listening to Half the Battle. Now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So Shaq, what is the fight to watch for UFC 242? My fight to watch is going to be the co-main event, Edson Barboza versus Paul Felder. You know, it's quite interesting. Paul Felder's been commentating Edson's, you know, last four or five fights cage side. He's been having a, a, a very good up and close uh, personal look at Edson. Now he's getting to fight him. Time Edson fights, like I said, you know, one of the greatest, uh, flashiest strikers in the history of the sport. You know, I'm interested to see if Felder clears another hurdle and, uh, or if uh, Edson can regain uh, some old form. So I'm uh, that's my fight to watch. My fight to watch is Merbik Taisuma versus Diego Ferreira. Look, like I already mentioned on the show, the winner of this fight is most likely getting a top 15 ranking. And this is just going to be a hell of a fight in general. I mean, both of these guys are super exciting. Merbik Taisumov, unbelievably explosive and powerful. Diego Ferreira with that very opportunistic jujitsu and the ever-improving stand-up. I just have a feeling that this fight's going to end inside the distance. It's going to be total chaos while it lasts. So for that reason, Diego Ferreira versus Merbek Taisumov is my fight to watch. Well, Shaq, who's your fighter to watch for UFC Abu Dhabi? Now my fighter to watch is going to be someone fighting really early in the night. But, you know, he's a, he's a little intriguing to me. And that's the magic man, Don Madge. You know, he uh, represents a country, South Africa, a big country, and... Man, I like the kid's confidence, and it's just really intriguing to see this transformation that he's been on uh, in the last year or so. So I'm interested to see how he's perform. He's going to perform on Saturday. He was getting ready for that war zone with uh, 
Mustafaev. Now he gets the newcomer instead. You know, it possibly could be a better uh, situation for him. So he's my fighter to watch. I'm interested to see how he performs. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Uh, when you talk about transformations, there's not there's not a better example than Don Match. So I'm very curious to see how he looks. But for me, my fighter to watch is Dustin the Diamond Pori. I mean, when you talk about a guy who's truly paid his dues. When you talk about a guy who, you know, he didn't talk to get a title shot. You know, he didn't beat a couple frauds to get a title shot. This is a guy that's literally been through all the ups and downs and has paid his dues in every possible manner you could. We're talking about this guy was in the WEC. This guy was in the UFC 20 plus fights and had the ups and downs, had to overcome adversity. He's been through everything. I mean, there was a time, I don't know if some of the newer fans remember back when, when Poirier was fighting the Cub Swansons and the Korean Zombies, people used to say that Dustin Poirier can't win a big fight. He can't win a main event. And, you know, then he ended up winning a main event. And then they were saying that he can't beat former champions. Then he finishes Pettis and Gaethje. Then they were saying he can't beat current champions. And he goes out there and beats uh, Max Holloway and becomes an interim champion. Now they're saying he can't beat the man that has never been beat before. That's 27-0. I understand why they're saying that. So let's see if uh, Dustin Poirier flips the script and creates history and becomes the first man ever to defeat Habib Nurmagomedov. So just because of all the trials and tribulations Dustin Poirier has overcome to get this main event title shot in Abu Dhabi versus the most dominant lightweight in UFC history, for that reason, Dustin Poirier is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, it's going down this Saturday afternoon in Abu Dhabi, UFC 242, that lightweight belt is on the line. They can follow you at MMA Genius 05. They can follow me at Best Fight Picks. Our bets are available at bestfightpicks.com. Make sure you use that promo code FORTUNE to save 10% off any VIP package. We want to thank you guys so much for all your support. As always, we love you guys all. And uh, make sure you tune into what we got coming up. Got a lot of exciting things in the works. Make sure you subscribe to Half the Battle everywhere we're available iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify iHeartRadio, Music Radio. There's a lot of other spots. Just type in half the battle. Thank you guys again very much. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.